0: Growing up in New Jersey, my first taste of sports talk radio came with Art Russ Jr. Sports Talk on 77 WABC. It was the Yankee station, and Art Russ would have the three hours before the Yankee games to when he would come on and do his sports talk show. He was a product of the Harlem Renaissance and was somewhat of a pioneer in New York City. He'd been a sports writer, he'd been a TV reporter. And he'd been on the radio, obviously, uh, one of the first African-Americans to really rise to prominence in New York sports media. I bring that up today as part of the podcast because my guests are... My broadcast partner from the CSUN Basketball Games, Alan Zinsmeister, he's my analyst, and then NFL Hall of Famer James Lofton joins me, and we're going to talk about a pioneer in Los Angeles, a gentleman named Brad Pye Jr. Unfortunately, Mr. Pye passed away on July 5th after just a long and illustrious career as a writer for the LA Sentinel, as well as a radio reporter for a number of stations, K-Day, K-Ace, K-J-L-H, prominent radio stations in the African-American community. So he had covered high school sports back in the 70s when both Allen and James Lofton were playing. And when he passed away on July 5th, I saw a tweet from James Lofton talking about he knew he had made it when he saw his name in a in a Brad Pye Jr. article in the LA Sentinel. And it rang very important to me as a guy that prominent, NFL Hall of Famer, very accomplished broadcaster, now working for CBS on the NFL package, would make that kind of a comment. And obviously, my broadcast partner, Alan Zinsmeister, told me he was the go-to guy that you'd listen to in the 70s in Los Angeles. So, Alan Zinsmeister and James Lofton joined me to discuss the career and the legacy of Brad Pye Jr. Hope you'll enjoy it. very special edition of the podcast today. I'm joined by two Los Angeles legends to talk about the legacy of Brad Pye Jr., who is a Los Angeles writer and sportscaster. He passed away on July 5th, and this man was was somebody I've learned about only recently, who was a pioneer not only for Los Angeles, but uh, throughout the country uh, in terms of the legacy of African-American writers and broadcasters. Uh, Alan Zinsmeister joins me, my good friend, my partner on the CSUN broadcast, proud graduate of Westchester High, L.A. City College in Long Beach State. And let me move over to Mr. James Lofton, Washington High School, Stanford. And oh, by the way, he's in the NFL Hall of Fame as well. Uh, welcome, gentlemen.
1: Thank you. Thanks so for having I'm, me. Um,
0: so, uh, James, we'll go to you first because I saw your tweet when, uh, when Mr. Pye passed away when the announcement came out. And it really resonated with me and Alan as well in terms of covering, you know, having covered high school sports and still covering high school sports. And I'm going to put the tweet up for people to read. But you basically said that, hey, once you saw your name in a Brad Pye Jr. article, you knew you'd made it. Give me a brief (laughs) brief explanation about that.
1: Well, growing up in Los Angeles in the late 60s and early 70s, it was a small area. And by that, I mean you were restricted to how far you could ride the bus. And when I got on the RTD at the time, I think, which is now the Metro LA system, (laughs) you know, I could go from 89th street down to Imperial, or I could go from Manchester over to Vermont, different things like that. And, and I grew up in the Southern league and those teams at the time were Dorsey high, LA high, Fremont manual arts, Jefferson and Washington high, those six teams. And that was really the extent of my world. Every once in a while, I'd pick up the Los Angeles Times or the Herald Examiner and I'd read about some exotic team from the Valley or somebody <laughs> from the South Bay. But really, it was that encompassed area. And that was the area that Brad Pye Jr. covered, whether it was on the radio, whether it was with the L.A. Sentinel. But on the airwaves, he was as big as anybody else. And if you've been in Los Angeles for any number of years, there are two iconic people. One jim hill on television number one because since 1976 jim hill has not aged and we don't know how (laughs) that has happened but he's been on either cbs or abc for the last i have to take off my shoes to count how many but it's getting close to 40 years 40 plus years now and brad pye jr on the radio and you'd hear updates but the la sentinel to be in the newspaper because the la times only covered usc ucla and really, the cream of the crop in high school sports. But Brad Pye Jr. He covered the Southern League, maybe because he was a Jefferson graduate.
0: Prince Meister, uh, I asked you I know, six months ago, seven months ago, when we still had sports. I remember asking you, when you were a young guy, you know, who, when you were at Westchester High, you know, picking the hair and you know, meeting the meeting the ladies before you met your lovely wife. Who was the guy on the radio you listened to? And you, without hesitation, told me Brad Pye Jr. Now. He worked for a number of states, as I know, uh, KJLH, K-Day, K-Ace were the, the, the stations of the African-American community at the time. Uh, Mr. Lofton already mentioned the, the LA Sentinel, which was the, a big paper uh, you know, at the time, still still in circulation. Um, what was the highlight? Was there a regular show that you would tune into, or was there a regular time that you'd tune into Brad Pye Jr.?
2: You know, well, first, I've got to address that uh, legend, L.A. legend. I mean, you know, the term legend in your own mind. I mean, there will be a picture of me on that. So I was no legend of any kind. Uh, But but Brad Pye Jr. was a legend. He was a person that uh, as a young man that you listened to and. And I didn't have the wonderful opportunity to get a chance to be covered by him, to have my name mentioned in any of his broadcasts. But when I played and and I would hope to do something well enough to to, to make that high watermark, uh, that would have been a thrill of my life. And to hear James mention that, I did not realize that James had a chance to be uh, mentioned in a Brad Pye article because, you know, I was only worried about me and James was James, you know, whatever. He <laughs> went to Washington. I went to Westchester. But uh, no, Brad Pye was the type of individual that, that made you feel uh, that you could be accepted in any uh, area in life. He made you feel that uh, not only could you uh, be a broadcaster, but if you were really good at sports, that he was going to make sure that he magnified and amplified your name. uh, And as James said, really like in the Southern League or, or in Southern California, he had a particular desire to make sure that he promoted young men that he felt maybe under promoted or appreciated.
0: What? Struck me when I read, and you know, a lot of these articles there were the L.A. Times, the old L.A. Sentinel pieces about him. And I had another colleague, you know, Evan Barnes. Who, you remember he used to cover the the Valley with the Daily News. He's in Memphis now. Talked about their influence. You know, he's a young guy. Uh, Brad Pye's influence. I did not realize, you know, Bryant Gumbel worked in the L.A. market. You know, uh, James already mentioned Jim Hill, but he kind of opened the door for guys like Bryant Gumbel and Jim Hill in Los Angeles. I did not realize that. African American reporters were not allowed on the Coliseum press box until 1960. I, I th- that you know kind of flew over my head being a, being a younger guy. Uh, that and it was a big vote. I mean they voted it down. And then Brad Pye, through his connection to, to Kenneth Hahn, got that. You got the ball rolling to, hey, we need to open the press box up to everybody. Uh, The fact that he worked for the Angels in public relations, the first African-American to work for a Major League Baseball team as a PR director. The fact that of all people, Al Davis, the great Al Davis, tabbed him to work in the American football. I mean, this guy was an icon, and I feel special talking about you guys, you know, because you grew up in L.A., obviously, but also you're both broadcasters. And I'm wondering, was he the first person who looked like you that you saw or listened to as a broadcaster?
1: Uh, no doubt about it, but I don't know if our worlds were big enough to realize what he was doing. Because when you see that, you know, you, you read up on him on Wikipedia and you, you look it up and you see he was sports director. And boy, does that sound like a, a great title. And what that means is he did everything. He was the only one there at the station. He had to come back, cut his own interviews. He probably had to sell the advertising to go on the air. So he had to do everything. And you talked about, you know, being with the Angels, being with Al Davis. You know, those are roles that he probably got 15 or 20 bucks for. You know, this was not a a high dollar industry when, when he was in it. And he embarked upon something that he loved. And I read some other stuff about him. And he came to Los Angeles from, I think, Louisiana when he was 12 years old.
0: Yeah. Came on his
1: own. His mom came four years later. So when you think about it, when he came out in 1943, World War II is going on. Yeah. So there's nobody there to look out for him. He really is on his own. And you think think about what he did as a broadcaster. He broke down barriers. And because, like you say, he wasn't allowed in the press box. There, there, there was no seat for him at games. There were no tickets waiting for him or press passes waiting for him at will call. So he had to do what he could do. And like Alan said, promoting high school sports and that rich high school area that was really South Central Los Angeles, the Southern League, L.A., Jordan, Locke High School. Those schools, which were primarily African-American schools, were the schools that he covered and had a lot of great athletes, and in the Crenshaw area also.
0: It's interesting to discuss with you guys, because now high school coverage is pretty universal. I mean, it's a big deal. You get it on TV and with the internet in particular. But I I had the opportunity to get to know, he's passed away too, the great Tommy Hawkins. You know, Notre Dame played for the Lakers as well. And one of his first jobs, he worked with Ross Porter covering, this is in the late 60s, covering local high school games on local television and radio in Los Angeles. And this is, you know, kind of uh, it, it's a, it was a one stop shop with 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 that with that group. And obviously, Brad Pye doing that for a, a different community like you were talking about. They went to the kind of the big schools in L.A., but some of the smaller schools didn't get covered. We see that problem today. Where the big schools like a Centennial or a Modern Day or a Bosco kind of get all the attention, that doesn't mean that you know smaller schools don't warrant that attention because they have great athletes coming out of those schools as well. And and I, it's interesting. And you you both touched on the fact the media landscape has really changed. You know, and I just remember as, as a kid growing up, you'd learn in, on the East Coast you'd learn about some of these high school guys. It would just be word of mouth. You know, everybody knew who Dwayne the Pearl Washington was because it was a playground legend, and the word got around. That's not the case anymore. Now, you know, kids are playing on ESPN when they're 14 or 15 years old. But I I just wanted to really accent the notion of him being a pioneer, uh, opening doors, especially even in a town like L.A., which you would think would be a little more progressive and a little more open, really always wasn't that way.
2: It it wasn't. And uh, it's something, you know, it's now over 50 years ago, really, when he had an impact uh, in, in Southern California, and then basically in South Central, the South Central has expanded so much. I mean, uh, and as Watts has expanded so much in people's minds, but uh, to think that he was doing uh, what a service he did for the young athletes in that area, rich with talent. I mean, you have someone like a James Lofton who goes to to Washington High School and then goes to Stanford. I mean, he. He understood the quality of the athlete, but he also made sure that he pick and chose the right type of athlete, really to to highlight a Marcus Johnson, someone also who's able to go to a UCLA. I mean, this was a man who understood and thought it was important to promote and and do all the things necessary to elevate an area that most people maybe didn't think uh, highly of.
1: You know, I think Alan hit the hit the nail on the head when you. Talk about the early 70s. The sports uh, on television were restricted to, to five minutes of highlights. And if you're in Los Angeles and it's football season, you've got to cover USC, UCLA and L.A. Rams. And and, you, and your five minutes are up. You I don't I don't ever remember um, a sports highlight show that had high school clips on it. And now that that is commonplace almost everywhere around the country where you can have a highlight show that features high school athletes. And really, when you talk about pioneers, Brad Pye Jr. highlighting those people on the radio in his column really was a predecessor to what we see now with the max preps and different things like that, where you are totally devoted to high school sports and and don't even think about the college or the professional
0: realms right. i mean I, I don't know if you guys either got a chance or have the time i just got done with the latest season of last chance you covering laney junior college in oakland and it is really interesting in that the team is focused but they also focus on the city of oakland which i think is really interesting the history which i you know a lot of which i didn't know about it but before I, we only have a couple more minutes left so i want to get this from both you guys now you know uh people i don't know if anybody listened james you're working now with andrew katalan on cbs but I kind of stumbled on you when you were doing the radio with Westwood One because Dave Sims, who you work with, was a guy that I grew up listening to right. in New York. And I remember talking with your buddy here, Alan, and I said, "Man, you got to listen to Sims and Lofton on these Monday night games because I said Lofton's the best guy I've ever heard in <laughs> terms of in terms of word economy. You could take twenty words to tell us what anybody else." was telling us at 40 and Alan kind of smiled and he said, well, you know, he did go to Stanford and he said, you know, that's my dog. Meaning, you know, you guys, I didn't realize you guys had grown up together until he told me oh, that. Yeah. Um, when, when did either of y'all, we'll start with, with start with James and Alan can answer. When did you first think about getting into broadcasting? Uh,
1: you know, obviously I got a chance to play in the NFL. I played there for 16 years and while I was in green Bay, for two years that I was there, I had television shows where I was the, the host and would bring on other players and do different interviews and different features and different things like that. And I got to do that. Then I get traded to the to the Raiders and resume my football career. But when I went to Buffalo and now I'm getting toward the other side of my career and where I can see the end. And the Buffalo Bills had a play by play guy by the name of Van Miller. Well, I had a show that was set up that looked like a David Letterman show. And Van Miller was my um, Ed McMahon who sat on the couch. I sat behind the desk. we bring out players. I started with a monologue that was 90 seconds backstage as I walked toward my desk every week. And Van Miller told me at that point, he said, you're going to be great in, in broadcasting. And it was the first person that ever said that to me because like anybody who's ever on air, we don't like the sound of our voice. We don't like the way we look. We're not enamored with ourselves. We enjoy the work. But when we look at ourselves and we listen to ourselves, we go, ooh, that's, that's not real good. So you have to get over that hurdle. And, you know, I had a chance when I retired. I worked at CNN for a while. I've worked and drawn a check from almost every broadcast agency that there is available. And it, it's been a, a terrific ride. Um, I will now... This year will be my 43rd year in the
2: NFL.
0: Alan, I know you kind of stumbled into the game, but did you ever have aspirations before you stumbled in?
2: You know, I used to be uh, Chick Hearn for our neighborhood football games uh, when I was a kid. (laughs) I loved... uh, the, the broadcasting it was just something that I just happened to like. And uh, and so it was fun. And I was very blessed and fortunate to be able to to kind of fall into it the way that I did at CSUN. Uh, but to get a chance then to work with the and I say this all the time, James, on our broadcast in regards to my good friend, Ghazal Hassan. Uh, As you can tell, he's a pro's pro. And now I believe that I'm in the broadcast business. Before I was just having fun on games. But now because I get a chance to work with Gazal, he holds me to a particular standard that I rarely meet. But I always try to meet it. And so for me, it was just something that as a kid I wanted to do. I didn't think I'd ever be able to do it. But it's, uh, I've been honored, and it's been so much fun to get a chance to do it. And, and gentlemen like Brad Pye Jr., I don't think I can remember his voice in particular or something that I may do like him, but I'm quite sure that, uh, subconsciously, he was an influence for me.
0: Gentlemen, I appreciate the time that both of you provided today to to honor an L.A. icon in, in Brad Pye Jr. And, uh, Alan, great to work with you. And uh, James grew up watching you, obviously, in the NFL. And I love I love your work with Andrew Catalan. Tell me, just if you could briefly, before we, we sign off here, how was the transition for you from being an analyst on the radio, which I thought you did really, really well, to moving over to television, where it's really more of an analyst's medium, no?
1: Well, in radio, in the, the great story goes... Years ago, back in the 40s, early 50s, there was a Notre Dame broadcast, and the team was driving against Notre Dame, and the defense had to put up a stand. And all of a sudden, Notre Dame recovered a fumble. And the play-by-play announcer goes, Johnson picks it up at the 10. He advances past the 30. He's out to midfield. He's at the 40. He's at the 30. He's at the 20. Oh, he laterals to Simpson. Simpson scores. Well, Simpson was the guy who picked it up in the first place. On radio... You're painting the picture on television. You have to react to the pictures. That's really the difference.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, I, I, the, the, the sequence that got, that sold me on you was you broke down three pass routes in about 20 seconds on the radio. And the next you know, Sims then calls a touchdown about five seconds later. If you had, you know, if you'd taken an extra second, it would have blown his call. But you were right. You guys were just right in rhythm. You had great chemistry. And the biggest compliment I get is when people listen to Alan and I and just tell me, hey, you got great chemistry with, with, with your analyst. And and, and that's that, and that's the best thing that, that anybody can ever say. But One of um, my
1: best qualities as an analyst is the ability to lay out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and Alan has learned that.
2: Yes. I was hard-headed, but I did get to learn it.
0: I said, Alan, take three seconds and then go crazy. It makes all the difference (laughs) when the crowd swells. But, gentlemen, I appreciate both of you giving me the time today, and uh, thanks again. Hopefully we can do this again sometime. Alan Zitzmeister, James Lofton joining me to talk about Brad Pye Jr.